Welcome to the National Community Church Podcast. We're thrilled to be able to share this weekend message with you from Pastor Joshua Simonet, our Kingstown campus pastor. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes or go to theaterchurch.com. Big shout out to all eight of our campuses, especially those of you joining us via podcast this weekend. I'm excited to share with you as we continue in our long story short uh, series. If you have a Bible, will you go with me to Exodus chapter number six? Exodus chapter number six. Before we get there, allow me to just build a quick bridge uh, from last week uh, to this week, coming from Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, where Pastor Heather left off. God calls Abraham. Uh, he says he's going to make him a, a great nation. He makes him a, a promise. Uh, there's just one problem. He doesn't have any kids. He, he's barren. Uh, him and his wife, uh, Sarah, are old, and uh, they try to help God out. Been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Um, eventually, after 25 years, they have this son, uh, Isaac, and Abraham is 100 years old at this point. God asked Abraham to sacrifice the very thing that he has promised to give him. And then in Genesis 22, we see the faith of Abraham and his willingness to do what God asked him to do. And God provides a sacrifice for him so that he doesn't have to sacrifice his son. So then Isaac goes on to have several sons. One of those sons is Jacob. Uh, and then Jacob has several sons. And his seventh son uh, is Joseph. And Joseph uh, has favor from his father, and his brothers don't like that. And so they become uh, jealous of him, and they sell him into slavery, and then they go back and they tell his father uh, that he was killed. But eventually he ends up uh, in Egypt. He wasn't killed, but through a, a series of, of favorable uh, events, he becomes second in command in Egypt. We find all of that in Genesis 37 through 41. Then there was a, a famine in the land of Canaan, where Joseph was from. Uh, there was also a famine in Egypt, where Joseph was now uh, pretty much running the show. Uh, Jacob uh, then sends uh, six of his other sons to go to Egypt to get grain, to get supplies, uh, so that they can survive. But his brothers didn't know that it was Joseph that they were going to face uh, and Joseph, they were going to have to go through to get these supplies. And so then there's this dramatic reunion uh, that we don't have time to, to, to talk about. And they find out that Joseph is alive. They go back and they tell his father. Uh, and then Joseph decided, decides that he wants to bring the family and move them to Egypt with him. So then we close out the book of Genesis. Uh, in verse 24, Joseph says, now I am about to die. But I know that God is going to give you this promise that he promised to Abraham. So the opening of Genesis, we have the formation of creation. The opening of Exodus, we see the formation of a nation. And not just any nation, but God's chosen people. And now at the beginning of Exodus, 400 years have passed since the death of, of Joseph. And now Moses is the central figure, and he is on the scene. He is uh, himself a Hebrew, an Israelite, but he was raised in uh, Pharaoh's palace. He was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And so after 
40 years in Egypt uh, and another 40 years on the run for killing uh, an Egyptian who was uh, beating one of his own people. He reluctantly accepts God's call to lead Israel out of Egypt, a job that he's tried to quit four or five times by now. So then we pick up the action in chapter number six uh, in the book of Exodus. Would you do me a favor? Will you stand as we read verses two through eight? And I'll be reading in the New Living Translation uh, this weekend. Starting in verse two. And God said to Moses, I am Yahweh, the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But I did not reveal my name, Yahweh, to them. And I reaffirmed my covenant with them under its terms. I promised to give them the land of Canaan where they were living as foreigners. You can be sure that I've heard the groans of the people of Israel who are now slaves to the Egyptians. And I am well aware of my covenant with them. Therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you from your oppression. I will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment. I will claim you as my people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from your oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you as your very own possession. I am the Lord. You may be seated. So at this point in the story, uh, Pharaoh, the Israelite elders, Moses, they have all pretty much had it with each other. Pharaoh is upset uh, and refuses to release the Israelites after Moses delivers God's message to let his people go. All of this is happening just before uh, chapter number six. And the Israelite elders are upset with Moses uh, because he pretty much came and made things worse. He's, he's upset Pharaoh and made their work harder. Moses is upset because he said ever since he showed up on the scene, uh, he's done nothing but anger Pharaoh uh, and his own people. And so he's ready to quit. He's ready to go back doing uh, what he's doing. And the common denominator in this whole thing is God's plan. God has a plan to get his people out of this situation, but nobody is feeling this plan. And the frustration begins uh, to boil. And I think the reason that they don't like God's plan is because there's too much of a disruption from what is familiar. There's too much uh, uh, that he is, he is taking them through to, to take them out. Pharaoh would obviously love to keep the people there enslaved because it's good for the economy. You know, business is booming right now. So if Israel uh, leaves, who's going to do all of this work? Uh, the Israelites don't want to be oppressed, uh, but at least they knew what it was like day to day, uh, or they knew what to expect before Moses came. Now, uh, Moses has tried to find every excuse in the world to not take this job. Yes, he wants his people to be free, uh, but he's built a new life for himself over the last 40 years. He's chilling, doing his, doing his thing. But now at 80 years old, he would rather not be in Egypt dealing with all of this drama. So Pharaoh, Israel, Moses, they were all somewhat in a comfortable situation, at, at least a situation that they, they could predict and they could manage. But the one thing that 
you will find about the Bible as you continue to read through it. And some of you may already know this as you uh, have read through the Bible. God is really good at disrupting our comfort zone. Speaking of comfort zone, in, in, in 1908, uh, psychologists Robert M. Yerkes and uh, John D. Dodson produced uh, some research on the comfort zone. They explained that uh, uh, relative comfort produces steadiness. And within that steadiness that we call comfort zone, our activities and behaviors fit a routine, and that routine uh, minimizes stress and risk. And we like that because we need a certain level of predictability in our lives. We, we like to have some things that we uh, can control. But Yerkes and Dodson also said uh, that there's a place just outside of the comfort zone uh, that's called uh, uh, optimal anxiety. And it is in this place where our behaviors uh, change and, and, and we shift outside of our normal routine. Now, as you might guess, this produces uh, slightly higher levels of anxiety and stress. But this optimal anxiety is the kind of anxiety and stress needed to go beyond where we are to accomplish something greater. In other words, the right kind of discomfort actually produces good in our lives. Now, this is not something that is uh, completely unfamiliar to us as we set goals to, to work out and, and, and sculpt our bodies, as we uh, set goals to change our diet and to, to eat better, as we uh, set goals to save money or, or start up. And all of these things pull us out of our comfort zone into this area of optimal anxiety. And the truth be told, if something or someone didn't push or pull you, growth change, or even a new perspective would never happen. Because if you're not exposed to change, you will not change. And you, know, you all know what they say about change. But I think most of us are open to change, but we actually dislike the process of change. Or we don't like, we don't like it when we can't control the process of change. And we'll come back to that in just a minute. Now, the whole comfort zone thing, I know we tend to demonize that sometimes, but actually it, it, it is a good thing for us to have a comfort zone because our, our brains have to go back and actually um, recalibrate some of the things that we've gone through. But if we stay in our comfort zone all the time, you don't give your brain the opportunity to learn or to create new pathways from uh, the experience that optimal anxiety provides us. We summarize that around here at NCC by saying, playing it safe is risky. Now, even if you haven't had the, heard the, this, this term optimal anxiety, you, you've heard of getting out of your comfort zone. You heard of no pain, no gain. You've probably seen these hanging up on the walls in different places. And uh, to get where you, where, where you want to go, you got to do what you've never, uh, never done. Um, and, and all of these sorts of things. But all that stuff and all those things are all good when we can control the terms or when we think we can actually deal with the terms that have been dictated to us. It's all good. But it's a different story when we can't control the terms or when we think those terms are just flat out ridiculous. I remember when I was uh, about seven years old, um, I, I had just, you know, started to explore this passion I had for playing football. And, and I just I, I love football, even from from a uh, from a little boy. And um, so I decided I was going to go out for my local local team. We had a little park there. And we had several Several teams, and I had the, you know, the little shorties, 75 pounds, so I was going to go out there and, uh, and, and, and play. 
And, um, you know, I, I uh, didn't expect for certain things to happen when I showed up. There, was, there were these things that we would do before practice where we would run and, and they would blow the whistle and we would dive and then we had to get up and run again and then they blow the whistle and we'd dive. And, and, and in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is, I don't know what this is about, but okay. Um, so, so, so then um, we, we would do these exercises and I remember um, we, we had this thing called six inches. So we would lay down on the ground and, and, they, and they would uh, tell us to lift our legs up and we had to beat our stomachs and then they would put it down and, and we would be holding it and I'm just crying like, oh, Lord, help me. I think I might have came to Jesus at that moment. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself after a couple of days, um, I'm not sure if I want to do this football thing. I, I'm not sure if, if, if this is uh, what I signed up for because this is too hard. The terms are, are not the terms that I actually had in mind when I, when I signed up for this. But what I didn't know was that whole process was called conditioning to play football. But that, the conditioning part was not what I signed up for. The conditioning part was not what it got me excited. The conditioning part was totally oblivious to me until I got in it. And I had to make a decision at some point, which I did the, the following year, that I, 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 I had such a passion I needed to deal with this conditioning piece, and so I embraced it. But in this story, I think Pharaoh and the Israelites uh, and Moses think some of God's terms or, or this process that, that he's going to take them through is, is ridiculous. I, I think Pharaoh thinks the terms are ridiculous uh, because it's going to jack up the economy. The Israelites, I think, think the terms are, are ridiculous because if God is going to get us out, why is he sending Moses here to mess it up and, and make Pharaoh mad? And I think Moses is definitely, I think, I, I think he definitely feels like the terms are ridiculous because he says to God in, in, in verse 22 of, of chapter 5, is this what you sent me here for? I mean, really, because you said I was going to help get these people out, but ever since I showed up, it's been nothing but drama, and now everybody is mad at me. And so God, and I'm translating here, he said, hold up, little buddy. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me, let me explain something real quick. Verse 1, he says, now you will see. Translation, now I have your attention. And then he lays out the game plan, and he reiterates the promise that he had given to Abraham. Just real quick, there, there, there are two parts to this promise. Uh, in the first four verses, he says, I am Yahweh, I'm the Lord. I reveal myself to Abraham, Isaac, and, and Jacob as El Shaddai, God Almighty. But this side of me, Yahweh, you haven't seen yet. I reaffirm my covenant to them. I haven't forgotten the terms of the agreement. I have not forgotten about you. Then he goes on to say uh, to, to Moses, tell Israel, I will free, I will rescue, I will redeem, I will claim, I will be your God, I will bring, and I will give. Seven I am statements. And it's a promise of deliverance. Now, all of that sounds good because I know that Israel wants to be delivered, but there's just one issue. God doesn't reveal how. He doesn't say how he's going to do it. And in the gap of, of information, it's these unknown terms that I think we have the real issue with. See, we love the idea of losing weight. We don't like the idea of working hard and sweating. We love the idea of writing a book, but we don't love the idea of getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning to write the book. We love the idea of diversity, but we don't like the idea of embracing difference. 
it's often the process that we have a problem with. Yes, we want deliverance, but we don't necessarily love the process. That is the piece that is problematic for us. But tonight, I just want to give you two benefits of the process or the ways in which God goes about doing what he does. I want to pick up, actually, right where Pastor Heather left off last week. She gave us her final point. She said, God, God's promises always involve sacrifice. Now, right now in the story that we just read, the Israelites, I mean, they're, they're starting to feel this squeeze already, and it's just getting started. So much so that the following verse in verse 9, it says that they didn't even listen to Moses giving them the promise because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Already from the jump, they're like, we're not even trying to hear it. This is just messed up. Imagine how Moses is feeling. Now, that's a completely different sermon. But the first thing I think, or the first benefit that I want to I share with you um, of this process that, that we often find ourselves in, that, that, that God takes us through, is it broadens our perspective of who God is. In this promise of deliverance, he says, I want to show you a new side of me. He says to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I've been El Shaddai, the Almighty God, but I did not fully reveal my character, all that I am. He had already shown that he could bring his people too, because remember, they're in Egypt now because there was a famine in the land. So, so he's brought them to a place of prosperity, and he's actually grown them in this place. But now he wants to show them that he can bring them through because now they're being oppressed. And this is probably part of the reason for their discouragement because they lack lack this perspective of God at this particular time. Um, One thing that you guys might not know about me is um, I love furniture restoration. I know that could be kind of hard to believe, but um, it started several years ago when um, I, I just needed a hobby. And so I just kind of got into to restoring furniture. So I like, I like paint furniture, and, like, I just I, I love this. I, I know um, as, a, as a football playing guy, that's kind of, like, you know, maybe weird, but I don't care what you think. Um, <laughs> um, my wife, you know, was not really a huge fan at first because, like, I'm just bringing all this extra stuff into the house, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting excited on trash day because I'm seeing who's throwing out stuff, and, uh, oh, man, that dress. I remember one time I literally walked around the corner with a dolly because somebody had put a dresser outside and walked it to my house. Um, but but, but I, I love these, these pieces that are busted up, missing handles, you know, scratch paint, chip paint, torn, because I have a vision for what is, what, what is beyond what people can see, beyond what even the furniture itself has experienced. And so I bring it home with a vision for what I want to do for it. Maybe I want to put it in a room or maybe I want to save it for later. And I, I, and I, I even have pieces now that I rescue, but I'm just holding on to for the right place um, at the right time. And I see, I think this is a a parallel situation for us in Exodus chapter 6 because God has seen the oppression of his people, but he has a vision for them that is beyond where they are right now. He's got a purpose beyond them them, uh, uh, making straws and, and bricks. He's got a purpose beyond them being oppressed right now. And he wants to show them a new perspective. He says, I will free you. I will rescue you. I will redeem you. With, powerful, uh, with my powerful arm and great acts of judgment. And that's exactly what he does. So, and this is when all 
chaos and all craziness just breaks out in chapter 7 through 11. We've got the 10 plagues. We've got blood uh, in the water. The, the Nile River turns to blood, and then there are frogs and there are gnats and, and there are flies and livestock and boils breaking out on people and hail and locusts and darkness and, and the, the death of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians. Can you imagine what this must have been like? seeing all of these. Some of you all would have died because I know you don't like flies and gnats and all that sort of stuff, so you wouldn't have made it. <laughs> but the interesting thing to me is throughout all of this, that, that it says that these plagues were not affecting God's people the same way. The, the livestock didn't die. They didn't break out in boils. The, where there was darkness in the land, wherever the Israelites were, there was light. Um, the, the firstborn didn't die. So God is not only showing, that, showing them that he can rescue them from, he can rescue them in the midst of. And see, sometimes we need to just have enough awareness to see that, that we got a lot of stuff going on around us, but it's not affecting us like it's affecting other people. We got, we got stuff breaking out around us, but we still have our sanity. We got, we got things happening, but we still have some semblance of peace. We, we feel like maybe we're on this job that, that, that is holding me hostage, but at least I still have a job. Sometimes that is the blessing within itself. One last thing I want to point out right here is that sometimes God is doing what he's doing, not only to show you who he is, but to show the people around you who he is. Listen to what he said to Pharaoh uh, in, in chapter 9, verse 16. He says, I'm sending these plagues to show you my power and that my, my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. See, to be a Pharaoh was to embody God. It was really literally to be God. And so God is showing this man who thinks he's God, who's oppressing his people. No, I'm God. I got this. So he's not only working on behalf of the Israelites, he's also trying to reveal himself to the opposition. In a relationship, this process of, of revealing, not, nothing reveals who you are and, and, and your character like when you go through stuff. Nothing. And so what God is trying to do is he's trying to reveal himself to his people because he desires to reveal himself to us. And as a matter of fact, from beginning to the end, the Bible is a story of God revealing himself to his people. Sometimes we just wish he would be less dramatic about it. <laughs> My second point is, I, I think when we find ourselves going through this process, it, it gives us a new point of reference for the future. Sometimes the stress and the strain of, of the process doesn't allow us to think about what's ahead. But God knows where we're going and what we need when we get there. I remember back in 2014, um, I led a, a, a missions team to Nigeria, and a uh, lot of persecution happening in, in Nigeria, um, especially uh, um, those who are, are, are professing to be Christians. Um, There's a woman named Binta that we met, fascinating woman, and uh, she came to faith in Christ through a vision. And uh, as a result of this conversion, her husband found out about it. Uh, he beat her. Uh, he took her to, to, to court, and uh, she was charged with burning the Quran, uh, which she did not do. Her daughters, uh, her two daughters were taken away from her, uh, and her husband wrote a divorce letter, uh, and she was jailed for seven months. God told her the reason 
that I allowed you or allowed this to happen to you is so that you can now become a mother to those who have been persecuted. So she started searching for kids who had been abandoned, who had been orphaned, uh, whose parents had been killed because of their faith. And people started bringing uh, kids and sending kids to her when they found out that this is what she was doing. And then God gave her uh, some land and she was able to uh, uh, open a compound and put different buildings on uh, this compound so that she could help these children to heal and she could help educate them. But here's my favorite part of the story. We were walking around the compound and she was telling us where all the things were. And there was this little area over to the right uh, that had this, this little chicken wire, and it, it, and it was pretty big. And I said, Binta, can you tell me uh, what's going on over here? She said, yes, we built this area so that we can house all of the chickens and the ducks, um, and we just, we just set up this structure because we believe that God is going to provide the chickens and the ducks. We just want to be ready when they come. <laughs> See, this woman had a point of reference of deliverance and what God could provide based off of what she had already experienced. A traumatic situation, but she still had enough faith to say, if God did that, I know that he can open the door and send us some chickens and ducks. See, sometimes the struggle that we're going through is not for us, but it's someone coming behind us. And the best people to help you overcome are the people who have already been through it themselves. See, God knew that there would be giants in the land that he had promised them. He, he knew that. He, he knew that, that there would be some battles that they would have to fight. And so uh, him delivering his people from a dictatorship would be a point of reference for them that nothing that they would face, no enemy would be too hard for God to defeat. Manna and quail, it was a point of reference for uh, sustenance and uh, God providing every resource that they needed at any time. I love what James Fortune says, the gospel singer. He says he's the God of the encore, meaning he can do it again. I love what Ty Tribbett says. He said he is the same God. If he did it before, he can do it again. And I love the gospel hymn, We Shall Overcome, that was saying so much in the 50s and 60s because it was a point of reference to a faithful God taken from Galatians 6, 9 that says, don't get tired of doing good because in due season you will reap a harvest, a blessing if you don't give up. Some of us are so close. And the message for you is not to give up. There's, there's, there's a purpose for this particular process because God knows where he's trying to take you. The last thing I'll say about this is sometimes the point of reference doesn't have to be a personal experience. But there are others around you who have gone through things or, or there are testimonies that we've heard that give us faith, that give us encouragement. Revelations 12, 11 says that we have overcome by the blood of the lamb, which is God's sacrifice and the word of our testimony. Which is why we should be sharing the things that God has brought us through. And let me ask you a question. What things have God brought you through that you need to reference now in this season that you're in? What has he done? What, is he, what, is he, what door has he opened that you need to look back and say, you know what, if God did that then, I know what he can do right now. Eventually, Pharaoh lets the children of Israel go. They experience a, a miraculous escape. The Red Sea parts, which was crazy within itself. There's the Red Sea in front of them. There's, there's this huge army coming behind them, and, and they're fearful of what's going to happen. Uh, and God literally 
parts to see in chapter number 14. And they experience God's hand of deliverance. But here's the thing. They never really accepted him in their heart. And they literally complained for 40 years in the wilderness. I don't know what was going on with their memory and these miraculous things that were happening, but it was really, really short. The generation that he led out of Egypt, they never really fully submitted to God, and therefore they never fully experienced his promises. Old Baptist preacher said they got out of Egypt, but Egypt didn't get out of them. Their, their experiences and, and the life that they had, they, they wish that they had actually been back there after some of the things that they had gone through. And it was a back and forth of acknowledging God, but never fully trusting him. And maybe you're here today or you're here this weekend and you're in that same situation where you need an exodus or you're in a tight place and you're trying to trust God or you said you trusted God and you've gone back on it and there, or there's a back and forth of acknowledging him and then the next day turning away. You're pledging to trust one day and you're taking it back the next. But here's the good thing. God has already made his choice, and you're it. You're his choice. He's so committed to this choice that this book right here is just a book of him relentlessly pursuing us passionately to be in relationship with us, despite us and all of our stuff. As a matter of fact, there's a foreshadowing that happens in Exodus 12, and that's the Passover. It's the ultimate sacrifice. And just before Israel crossed the Red Sea, he told them to sacrifice a sheep or a goat and place some of the blood on the doorposts. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no destructive plague will come over you. That was even before they had committed to God. See, God commits to us even before we commit to him. Eventually, he sends his son, Jesus, to be the ultimate sacrifice to take away our sin and to be the one who bears all on the cross. Listen, if you don't hear anything this weekend, I want you to hear what Jeremiah says. God doesn't have plans to harm you, but plans to prosper you and give you an expected end, which is to be reconciled back to him. All you have to do is receive the invitation. When the, when the army, the Egyptian army was coming and the war, the Red Sea was in front of them, Moses told the people, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. That's the word for us this weekend. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for how you love us. And we thank you for how you pursue us. Some of us here this weekend might be in a tight place. Some of us might be looking for an exodus. Some of us may be vacillating back and forth in whether we're going to trust you or not. But God, help us to build our life on you as a true foundation. Help us to not give it and take it, but to stand securely on your promises. 
We know that it's going to involve some sacrifice. We know that it's going to involve some tough times. But God, you said you would never leave us or forsake us. And you sent Jesus, your son, to, to bear our weight, to bear our burdens, and to, be, to pay the price for sin, a price that we could not pay at Calvary. And God, we thank you for that sacrifice. And God, I pray if there's anyone this weekend that doesn't know you and hasn't made that decision to uh, pursue you, God, I pray that you will open their hearts to receive you and to stand still and see your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.